When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey friends, welcome to the Dear Young Married Couple podcast. This is a unique episode as it's part of a two-part interview that we had with a couple from Wisconsin where they are sharing their testimony about overcoming porn addiction. So back up to part one so you can hear the story. And then starting here in part two, you hear them start to go into the solutions and the healing process. And so how did you find out, Martha? Um, I actually discovered it through a phone bill. Um, This was pre-iPhone. So it was like we had the very first, I don't even know what, what kind of smartphones they were, but they were to some extent a smartphone. Um, Mm -hmm. You could access the web on them, but um, I opened the mail one day and it just, it was just line after line after line of just very provocative titles. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was crushed. I mean, I was, well, I was absolutely shocked. Number one. So you had no suspicion at that point? No, not at all. Not at all. Like he said, we had marital problems and I knew there was something because he was missing a lot of church, I knew there was something deeper going on, but I kind of just attributed it to, he had a lot lot of work to do in our house and um, which I knew that wasn't a good reason, but um, he also had been really wounded by um, some leadership when he was the youth pastor and that had really, really hurt him. And so I knew he was struggling with that and I kind of just attributed it all to that. Mm -hmm. Um, But no, I had absolutely no idea. Did you know that you would talk to him right away when you found the phone bill or did you think that you might keep it a secret and see if he'll confess? No, I actually called him right away. Um, okay. And he, I basically said, um, you know, I just opened our phone bill and I don't know what you're looking at, but it's porn or something. And he said, Martha, it's not pornography. And I said, okay, well, whatever it is, it's not good. And I am really hurt right now. Mm-hmm. And so then later when he um, came home that night, he did tell me that he had been addicted to pornography before and on and off during you know, our whole marriage, which had been seven years at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, my heart was just completely crushed, yeah. completely crushed. Um, you know, when, when pornography enters a marriage, it goes from you standing in front of your husband in this pure union that you think is just you and him, right? And you stood before God and you've made these vows to love and honor and cherish one another. You've promised to forsake all others. And 
when pornography comes into your marriage, you're no longer standing in front of your husband by yourself. You're standing in front of your husband with multiple other women. I mean, it could be thousands of other women, mm-hmm. um, most of whom have been airbrushed to perfection. So you feel n- total opposite of honored and cherished. You feel yeah. humiliated. You feel shamed. You feel degraded. Sure. Um, and in, in an instant, your marriage goes from this innocent relationship to this polluted relationship where you feel extremely insecure and it's very, very traumatic and devastating for a woman. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when he did confess to um, having this porn addiction and all these emotions overwhelmed you, did you guys seek help right away? Kind of share with us what happened next. Yeah. No, I think... You know, my first thoughts were very shame-based, I felt. And I think this is not just, you know, unique to me. I think this is kind of a, a something that affects most women that discover this. But it just, you feel like it's your fault and that you're not good enough, that you'll never measure up. And you just take a lot of that blame. And um, so I was, number one, I was really embarrassed. I didn't want anyone to know about this because I didn't want them to think, oh, well, she must not be pleasing to her husband or she, you know, just whatever they would think. Oh. And I also didn't want them to think I was married to a perverted man. You know, I didn't want them looking at us. And so there's just a lot of fear. There's a lot of shame. And, you know, the devil uses shame, obviously, to isolate us. And so at the time, we didn't have any real mentor-type relationships in our life, so we didn't know where to go. Um, And so Nathan actually came to me a couple days after I found out, and he had purchased a video a while before I found out, hoping that someday he could watch the video with me, and maybe that would kind of bring up the conversation. Like a resource video? Yeah, it was about pornography addiction. Um, Um, So we watched this video and he, um, he asked me if I would be his accountability partner. And I don't know, I'm just now thinking like, did that video not cover that the wife should not be the accountability partner? Maybe (laughs) it didn't. For anybody that doesn't know, that's a bad idea. (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. Anyway, talk a little bit about that though. That's important. Yeah, we were just very ignorant about how addiction works in general, much less how pornography addiction works. Um, And looking back, I know he was genuinely thinking it would help him. Um, so he asked me if I could just ask him every day, how are you doing? And he felt like if he knew I was going to ask him, right, then he would, you know, that would protect him. Um, and so I, I remember telling him, you know, I just, I don't think I can do that. I just don't think I have the strength to do that. But he pretty much talked me into it. And so for about a year, I asked him every day, how are you doing? How are you doing? And it was always, I'm doing good. I'm doing fine. Doing good. And we never really had any real deep conversations about it. It was just kind of, he's doing good. And, and I think initially, because I didn't understand pornography addiction, I mean, obviously I was crushed. My heart was broken. I felt it changed the way I felt about myself in drastic ways. But um, there was still, I think, just a, a level of trust in our relationship that was still pretty intact. Um, and I know that sounds crazy, but, um, 
I don't even know exactly how to explain it, but we were mending. Like he, you know, obviously apologized profusely. And, you know, so we're kind of on the mend at this point. And we were really Mm -hmm. actually doing fairly well, even though we had no guidance in our life. You know, obviously we were, um, I think at that point, Nathan was pursuing God in a deeper way than he had in the past. And um, so we were healing. Um, But what happened, and I say we didn't understand pornography addiction, it's very common for relapse to happen. So yeah. I didn't know that he wasn't really so much aware of like how that's all working. Right. Yeah, I so. mean, when Martha found out about it and, and she confronted me about it and then uh, I went home and talked to her about it and confessed that I had been struggling with it when she didn't leave me, <laughs> when I, I asked her, I said, uh, I asked her if she still loved me and if she was going to leave me. And she said, she, she still loved me and she wasn't going to leave me. And, um, you know, my whole life I had lived in this cage of shame and guilt and fear and uh, letting people down and, and people not loving me if they knew who I really was. And in that moment, it's like, it's like the curtain rolled back, the, the cage doors opened up. And for the first time in my life, I really felt like I was loved without having had to earn it. And unconditionally unconditionally yeah and and that was like light flooding the darkness in my soul i was it was somebody let me out somebody let me out of the cage and i really thought i it was done like the the oppression and the shame and the guilt lifted and i really thought at that point i was going to be able to walk in victory and i did for a while but once again pornography becomes a way of dealing with emotional stress and and so once emotional stress entered the picture again for you you went back to it yep there were three specific times where i relapsed and i can go back i know one time was connected to a very intense moment of anger you know one was connected to just a a period of a few days of depression you know um and uh i hadn't learned how to deal with those emotions yet and i fell back into that old pattern uh it wasn't continual. It was, I think it was like three specific short time periods where I relapsed. Um, yeah. But that, because we weren't, there wasn't somebody walking us through that process and really tell us how, how that was going to work and how it would look right. and what might happen. Um, we kind of set ourselves up for, for a rough ride. Now that you've done some, um, you know, research and you've educated yourselves quite a bit on this topic and even ministered to others. Um, what would you say to other people who are starting this recovery process about um, how to support a spouse through relapse? Yeah, I think it's just really vital probably to have someone working alongside of you because when you're in such a vulnerable position, it is so, it's just really hard to handle the relapse. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, I think it would be extremely helpful to have someone coming alongside and kind of working through that with you and kind of preparing you ahead of time that this might happen. Because if you don't know it's coming, it's all the more devastating. Yeah, you know, I would say don't go it alone. Um, take the risk to step out and ask for help. Um, chances are that any couple that finds themselves in this place is because they've already isolated themselves in some area and they don't have 
yeah. mentors or somebody that they're really confiding in in their in their life. Mm-hmm. That's something that I, I heard you say a few times. You mentioned that like a theme that I didn't have anybody in my life, like a mentor that I could turn to. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's a big one for you. Right. And, and honestly, you know, it wasn't like we didn't have people in our life that would have supported us. We have plenty of wonderful friends. We both come from amazing families, great parents, but it's that shame that's isolating you. Right. Yes. And it's, it's very scary to take a step to try to seek help when you don't know what kind of response you're going to get. I mean, this is not a topic that's spoken about it. And I'm thankful it's now being spoken about more in churches, but back then it was really something that you just did not hear anything about. Mm -hmm. And it just, it's such a shaming topic. And I mean, I did try to reach out a couple of times, just um, in my own way, I tried to reach out hoping someone could maybe realize that I needed help, but because I wasn't completely honest about where I was, I mean, they just didn't know how to help me. So it's, I don't blame anybody around me. Um, I could have reached out if I wanted to. And I, I shouldn't just say if I wanted to. I did want to. It was just, sure. it's a really hard place to be. And, and right. Satan knows that. And he capitalizes on that. And he just floods you with all kinds of lies um, mm-hmm. to keep you there, really. Yeah. And it sounds like it's very connected to the whole, I can't tell anybody because of how they'll look at me different. And now that you know, you're drug into the same exact trap of, I can't tell anybody, I can't yes. reach out for help. Yep. And so until you break that cycle and reach out to the other, the rest of the body for that strength, mm-hmm. you maintain your weakness almost. Absolutely. I mean, God is there. God is strengthening. Don't get me wrong, but you're, you're still isolated in a sense. Mm-hmm. Right. We've both talked about many times how probably our journey could have been shortened by a, maybe a significant amount of time if we had had someone, you know, I would say working with us. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I'm grateful for is that I can look back and I, it's all God. You know, I mean, he has sustained us. Yeah. yeah. And so even though I wanted, like, I wanted so badly there to be a person there that could comfort me and to, you know, tell me they felt sorry for me, so to speak, or, you know, mm-hmm. um, encourage me when I felt down. Um, it has made me understand the depth of God's love in a deeper way that I wouldn't yeah. have understood if I had had right. someone there. Mm-hmm. So when, once, um, you know, the final relapse occurred and you guys really started entering into um, final recovery and and the recovery that's extended through today, um, what would you say were some of those important steps that you each took to recover? Well, what happened after Martha found out that I, I had relapsed is um, she gave me she gave me an ultimatum, basically. <laughs> mm. She put a firm boundary in place and she told me, look, I can't do this. It, you're you're going to have to get a handle on this because I can't do this. Well, and it was mm. two different times. Like we had done the whole, like, can you be my accountability partner? And that was a year that I would ask him. And then after that, I found out that he had relapsed and 
So then, you know, my heart is again, like on the floor crushed, but now we're not just dealing with, um, you know, we're not just at square one or at minus square one because now I'm dealing with being lied to. And I don't know how many times I've been lied to. It just feels like one big lie. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So then we're picking, we're still not, no one's, you know, with us on this journey at this point still. And so, you know, we're trying to pick ourselves up off the floor and again, ask me if I could try one more time. And I did want to help him. I felt like if he really felt like this could work, then I was willing to try, even though I was just, I mean, extremely broken at this point, but I still loved him and I still love God and I wanted to do the right thing. Um, So then it was another probably six months and then another relapse. And I actually walked in and I saw what he was looking at. Um, so you can imagine how broken our marriage is at this point. Right. Right. Yeah. And and so something that's actually missing from the story right now is that shortly after Martha found out, I began traveling for work and she actually joined me with the kids and we traveled for about three years, all, kind of all over the United States. And um, yeah. wherever we, we went, we found a church and we went to church. We didn't miss Wednesdays. We didn't miss Sunday services. We were at church and, um, and, you know, Martha said that if somebody had been with us uh, on the journey, our journey would have been shorter. But we didn't know where to turn because we were kind of trapped by ignorance and, and just our own fear and everything else. But, but God knows God knows his children and he knew where we were, where we were at. And uh, at the time we were in Texas and we were going to a church in Abilene, Texas. And just out of the blue, a man walked up to me. Uh, after service one day and said, you know, I feel like he told me that he felt like God had wanted him to come over and talk to me. And he began to tell me about how he had been addicted to pornography and how God had delivered him Hmm. from pornography. Wow. And at that point I had relapsed and that was um, because of a a period of anger. Um, It was actually between Martha and I, she had picked on my driving on my way down to Texas from Wisconsin. I got so angry. Um, and then I realized in that moment, almost out of spite, like I did it just a spider. God, forgive me. That's horrible. Um, mm-hmm. And then of course I felt horrible afterwards, right? Um, what a loser. Yeah, yeah. And after things are going so well and, but then this man approaches me at church and, you, and that's the thing is Martha and I love God. And, and God yeah. knew that he knew, he also knows that we're, we're dumb sheep. Um, <laughs> he's a really good shepherd. Yes. And, uh, you know, so even though we didn't have a person coming alongside of us, God in our clumsiness and in our ignorance and, and sometimes in our pride, God was yeah. very patiently, gently leading us. He was meeting us along the way and, and interceding at points when we needed it. And so this man had approached me, talked to me about that. Martha asked me about it. I had told her that I had told her what he said, told her that I had struggled and she was disappointed. Um, And I told her I was doing better again at that point, Um, which, you know, that's the whole cycle thing, the binge binge purge cycle, as they say. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then kind of things went on again. Like I didn't do anything with it. Mm-hmm. Um, he told me about a book called every man's battle. I didn't run out and purchase it. Uh, it just kind of sat there in my mind and, uh, we, we moved on, went a couple different places. And, and the last time that I relapsed at Martha caught was in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And, uh, mm-hmm. after that is when she told me that, you know, she can't do this anymore. So and, that, that boundary that you mentioned, 
was very helpful for you to use as a, almost like a a bulwark or a support to say, you know, I I can't do this to myself. I don't want to lose my family. Yes. That when Martha, in a sense, when Martha stood up for herself and, and gave me an ultimatum, um, I realized how serious this was. And uh, another thing happened. Um, I One night I had a dream. And in this dream, and in this dream, um, I found myself fighting and just, all kinds of little minions. They were just trying to overwhelm me and attack me. And I was beating them off with a baseball bat. And eventually I was able to beat them off of me, but then they ran to Martha and they attacked Martha and I couldn't protect Martha. I was trying to protect her and I couldn't protect her from these minions. I woke up and uh, it's kind of a goofy dream, but I, I was left with such a powerful impression that that what had been... Um, that the, the way the enemy had been tormenting me, he was now going to be tormenting Martha and that I had opened her up because I wasn't able to be the man God called me to be. I had opened her up to, to this, to a, in a sense, a similar attack on her and she was going to have to go through that struggle. And mm. I tell you what, that woke me up that, right. that set me on fire. And we immediately went to the nearest Christian bookstore and I bought every man's battle. And from that point on, I began to read Every Man's Battle, other books, my Bible. I just, it's its like God woke me up in a whole new way. Yeah, God woke you up and you also became real with that you're fighting a battle that you actually have to put some effort into. Yeah. Uh, like you, you were reading, you were, um, I'm sure you were praying, you mm -hmm. had these encounters and God was saying, hey, look, you have to start fighting here. And now that you had that boundary in place, from your wife, you're like, okay, my back's up against the wall. Yeah. And we're just either going to go for further or, or nothing. <laughs> we're, mm -hmm. we're just going to do this. Mm -hmm. That's, that's powerful. And so ever since that time, uh, there's been no relapse. You guys have just been on that journey of healing. And now you said 20 years, you guys have had a lot of years of mending. Yeah. I'm sure you can look back on this and say, wow, we've come from brokenness into strength. Yeah. Yeah. And that was not an easy journey. You know, he, he mentioned that dream and uh, I will say that last relapse, there was something that kind of shifted in my heart at that point. I had gone from just being in really deep sorrow over what had happened to now. I really believe at that point, a little seed of bitterness was planted in my heart. And I started just dealing with a lot of anger. Um, there were times in the next several years of trying to heal. Um, I mean, I literally, I could look at him. I never verbally told him this, but I just remember multiple occasions looking at him and I just would just be like, I hate you. I just hate you. I could just feel this like anger inside yeah. of me. I was so angry for what he had done to me and where I was now stuck because now where he talked about being in this vicious cycle, now I was kind of trapped in this vicious cycle of wanting to do the right thing, right? I wanted mm -hmm. to respond right to him, but I was, I was constantly reacting in anger to him. I was reacting in anger to my kids. I was dealing with a lot of deep depression. And, you know, the Bible does say that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers and wickedness in high places. Mm -hmm. And 
we were definitely in a spiritual battle for a marriage. You know, Satan, he goes about seeking whom he may devour. He doesn't want to just like pull a gun out and boom, kill people. He wants to absolutely devour them. And I think about a lion just tearing apart its prey. Mm -hmm. And that's what he was attempting in our lives. He wanted to devour our family. And honestly, he got close a few times. I mean, we were in a really bad place for a long time from the point of the last relapse. It was six years before I would have somebody actually come along and kind of help me through some of these emotions. Mm. And um, we reached out to our pastor and we had reached out to him a little bit earlier on. He was very new to us at that time. We had gotten a new pastor um, a few years after I initially found out. And um, after the last relapse, Nathan did approach him and let him know what was going on. And just, I think, um, probably in some of the ignorance that he didn't really know how to handle a pornography situation, um, didn't really have much direction for us at that point. Um, But I will say that our pastor is an amazing man. And sitting under his ministry, I believe, has sustained us during that time. It was a very healing ministry. I mean, I remember just weeping through multiple, most of probably most of his sermons from, you know, that first five years he was at our church. It was just so healing for me. And God brought so much hope through his ministry. And I'm so grateful for that. Yes. I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. Um, But so I'm kind of stuck in this cycle and um, just feeling hopeless. So we did reach out to our pastor again and I just, it was more so for me. I mean, Nathan was honestly doing pretty good at this point, other than having to deal with all my emotional baggage at, you know, trauma. Um, And he was very patient with me. I will say, I mean, he didn't do everything perfectly. Obviously he's human, (laughs) but he really was patient. I mean, I was pretty much downright mean a lot. Well, (laughs) you know, going back to kind of the beginning of my story, I, I, my love language is words of affirmation and physical affection and no stopped. And so, yeah, yeah, so all of a sudden I have this, you know, Martha hates my guts, you know, and like on bad days, she's a very witty woman. I mean, she can come up with some zingers and <laughs> and the, the, she could cut me down pretty quick. And, uh, yeah. you know, and I, the thing that helped me is I realized that I had done this to myself. You know, yeah. I was the one that had wounded her and turned her against me. And the other thing that helped me through this period was that, that um, I knew where I had been and I knew the cycle I had been caught in. I knew the despair and the depression and the hopelessness. And I knew where God had brought me and I knew that she loved God. And I knew that if God could bring me out, he could bring her out if she continued to love him and just wrestle through it and surrender. And so I just really began to lean on God and ask God to be my strength. And I vowed in myself to become the man she needed me to be so that when she was ready to let me back in, you know, I would be a man that would be able to keep her love and affection. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the books I read was every man's marriage after reading every man's battle. And that, that really helped me see, Mm -hmm. you know, God's heart for a husband towards his wife and God's heart towards, you know, his daughter, which was my wife, you know, and, Mm -hmm. um, and because of my brokenness, because of my own failure, I was able to receive the teaching in that book. I, I've suggested that book to other men, but, but you know, if a man's not broken before God and he reads that book, they're going to be like, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. Because that book really challenges our rights, our personal rights as men and as husbands. 
and asks us to love our wives like like Christ loves the church. And um, so, That's good. so God That's had good. got it. So God was carrying me and preparing me for Martha, the time when Martha and I could come back together. And, um, you know, and then, and Martha was wrestling through her darkest hour. No. So I had actually gotten to a place one night. I was at home alone. Nathan was gone and I was laying on my living room floor and I just, I was so broken and I was so desperate for some kind of hope. I just needed something that I could hang on to for some type of hope for our future. I just felt like we were going to, I felt trapped in this marriage where I don't believe in divorce, obviously, um, unless, you know, there are grounds for divorce in some situations, but I didn't, I didn't want that to be my story. I knew that wasn't going to be good for my children. Um, Even though the devil would definitely try to tell me that that would be great. Um, But that wasn't what I wanted, but I just felt so hopeless. I felt like it was never going to be different. Like you're just going to constantly be living, living in this ebb and flow of just, Love, hate, love, hate, right? Um, and that's extremely right. draining. And what, what changed? Um, I laid on my living room floor that night and I just, I opened my Bible and I said, God, I need you to speak to me. And my whole life I've always heard, don't open and point because you might have to go hang yourself like Judas did. And <laughs> at that point I was like, bring on the rope. Like I honestly, you know, Nathan mentioned suicidal thoughts. I had never had like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. But I just felt like I didn't want to live. I was so depressed. I was so empty inside. And so I opened my Bible and I started reading at Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15. And it said, for thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. For I will not contend forever, neither will I be always wroth. For the spirit should fail before me and the souls which I have made. For the iniquity of his covetousness was I wroth and smote him. I hid me and was wroth and he went on forwardly in the way of his heart. I have seen his ways and will heal him. I will lead him also and restore comforts unto him and to his mourners. I create the fruit of the lips, peace, peace to him that is far off, and to him that is near, saith the Lord, and I will heal him. Mm. And talk about a powerful word from God. I mean, I just remember yeah. weeping and just thanking God over and over. And I wrote in my Bible that night my, my promise next to that scripture. Mm. And I read it every day. And um, shortly after that, um, we went to our pastor and he found um, a ministry that's based in Kentucky called Pure Life Ministries. And they have, um, they actually have a live-in program for men, but they also do um, over-the-phone counseling for wives um, and for men as well. And so Nathan and I signed up to get, um, it was actually individual counseling, but it was a 12-week program. And when I got my... um, welcome packet in the mail I opened it and it was this really thick book it was called the walk of repentance and immediately my anger flared up and I was like are you kidding me why should I repent like he's the one that needs to repent um but going through that walk of repentance was life-changing for me and it was a pivotal moment in our relationship so good well they say that that um forgiveness is for you Martha Mm-hmm. But trust building 
is for him. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's, that's probably what started to happen is you were now working on your side of the, you know, working toward that forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. And I think I really wrestled with that for a long time because I'd be yeah. like, well, I do forgive him. Like I, you know, I've, but I don't feel like I've forgiven him, you know, because I right. keep getting all these emotions and anger and everything. And so I mean, how many times can I say I've forgiven him? Like, I don't know what else to do. I would get so frustrated. Because um, forgiveness looked like only happy emotions after you say I forgive you. Right. Like if this should all be over and we should be having this joyous reunion and never having any more problems, right? If I've forgiven yeah. you like this. Um, but it wasn't that way. So I felt a lot of shame with that too. Like, you know, I'm trying to be this good Christian woman who's forgiving her husband, but I wasn't living in that. Um, yeah. But it's definitely a process. Forgiveness is a journey. And yes. it's a very long journey. You know, um, sometimes it's longer for others. You know, yeah. some longer than others, but it yeah. can be a very, very long journey for some people. Wow. Well, thank you guys for sharing this story. I know it's um, it's a difficult one that you've had to relive just now, but I know that a lot of people are probably living it or are in the mid- middle of this journey. Um, we went for our 15-year wedding anniversary to the same place we took our honeymoon and that's Mackinac Island in Michigan. And that was two years after going through the Walk of the Repentance. Something shifted after the Walk of Repentance, and God began to bring us into a new season. It's like instead of our relationship being mostly cloudy, it went from mostly cloudy to partly sunny, then to mostly sunny, and then it was <laughs> almost always sunny with occasional thunderstorms, you know? Um, Got it. <laughs> and so, yeah, so... So this was our 15-year wedding anniversary. It was kind of like starting over. It was like our second honeymoon. It was our, our retry, so to speak. Yeah. And we really did. We just had such a great time. We truly, I was truly enjoying him. Um, the first time in a long time. And it, we just really had a wonderful, it was very healing for us in a lot of ways. And um, one amazing thing about this is that we had been told a few years previous, um, Nathan had actually been diagnosed with cancer again in 2011 and had another major surgery. And the doctor told us um, point blank, like you'll never have any more children. And we were okay with that at the time. We felt peaceful about that. Yeah, we, we had, had three, three kids at the time. Yep. So. Um, but about a month and a half after we came home from our, um, our anniversary trip, we found out that we were expecting our fourth child. And um, we wow. had a little baby girl and we named her Evie and Joy. And Evie means water. And um, I will say like, she has been waters of joy in our home because one of our biggest regrets was just, we made a lot of mistakes in our parenting years, just walking through so much trauma and um, this bitterness on my end and anger. And we just felt like we had damaged our kids in unrepairable ways in some ways. And um it was just such a beautiful thing when she came into our home because we started seeing, we have two older boys and, and another girl. And we just saw how our boys were reacting to her. And, and God has used her, I believe, to heal our kids in really deep wow. ways. And it's just like, we feel like God's kind of given us a second chance at parenting. And, and from that point, you know, we have had hiccups here and there, but God has been so faithful to us. And we have we really have come to a beautiful place in our relationship Mm -hmm. and it's totally by the grace of God. 
Yeah, and I, and I would say the success is not because we resolved to overcome. I would say it's because we decided that we were going to fully surrender to God's influence in our life. You know, I mean, so many so times good. you hear people say, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you got to strengthen your resolve. But really, I think what we need to strengthen more than anything else is our surrender to God. Because mm-hmm. yeah. we have to be willing to for God to lead us. You know? Sounds like that surrender is a theme in recovery, not just surrender to God, but also that submission to each other and um, kind of putting each other and each other's recovery process um, in front of your own and and supporting each other through that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I had always prayed growing up, like, God, please use my life. Like, I want to be used by you. I want you to do great things with my life. And that was just, I remember that being a theme that I used to pray and and, you know, God has used my life. It's not in a way I would have chosen, but um, yeah. what a beautiful way to have a life used to be able to minister to the person that God has entrusted you to love for the rest of your life. Yeah, Martha was such a critical part of me finding deliverance from this, you know, her her, her willingness to struggle through and endure and, and to stick by me and allow God to heal her heart so that we could be you know, a couple that God wants us to be. And then, you know, now, you know, I've, I've been sober, as you would say, for, for um, over 10 years. And, you know, now I'm, I'm Congrats. leading a couple, a men's group um, in recovery, you know, I'm reaching out to other guys and that's because of what Martha was willing to do for me. You know I mean? Yeah. Well, and um, now you guys are sharing your story and encouraging so many other people and, uh, well, first of all, we just want to say thank you for doing that and taking courage. So Yes. We um, like to close each of our podcasts by asking this question. And so we'll ask it to you guys. Um, rewinding back to those first few years of your marriage, what is some advice that you wish you would have received? And then fill in the blank. Dear young married couple. Dear young married couple, choose people that you trust to come alongside you. And because um, there's going to be situations where you won't have answers, you won't have answers for. And, and since you're young in your relationship, you won't have experiences to draw from. And it's critical to find a couple that you respect and admire that has a proven track record and that you trust and ask them to come alongside you and to be have the courage to be open and transparent with them about where you're at, where you're struggling yeah. and let them speak into your life. Um, I think that's, that's definitely something that Martha and I did not do. Um, I I wish that we had. And uh, that's, that's one thing I would say. Dear young married couple, I think number one, just never let go of Jesus hand because he is able to get you through any situation if you will just cling to him and daily surrender to him. It's not, it's not our will, it's his will. Um, And I'd also say, pray and ask God to give you a spirit of forgiveness toward one another. Um, T.F. Tenney is an old-time preacher, and he once said, people don't fall out of love, they fall out of forgiveness. And I think that is so true. If we can learn to forgive, we can also overcome any obstacle with God's help. That's good. So good. Love that. Well, guys, thank you so much for for doing this. Yes. We really uh, appreciate it. And I know that there will be a lot of people who find courage 
out of uh, the words you've spoken today. Yes. And you guys have shared also um, more resources that we will put here in the show notes for those who are listening. If you want some books and resources on healing and recovery, they mentioned a few and we will link those as well as some others that they've recommended here in the show notes. So thank you so much, you guys. Thank you guys. Thank you so thank much. Thank you for the opportunity. All right, friends. We really hope that today's conversation was beneficial for you. If you're wanting some help, some individual or couples counseling to help with broken trust in your marriage, this is a very difficult problem to solve by yourself. We'd love to come alongside you and help you through this process. Just reach out. Give us a call at 916-678-1797 or shoot us an email at hello at dearyoungmarriedcouple.com. No matter where you are in the world or in your marriage, we can set up a counseling session with you and we can work toward healing. We also post marriage advice regularly on our Instagram, which is at Dear Young Married Couple. And we'd love for you to join us there in conversation. All right. See you next week. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.